So it's the time of year right now where if you like to sing, this is your time, isn't it? How many of you have been singing some Christmas carols already? And uh, I'm just curious just to get a sense of our, our, our group here today. How many of you have been singing them really since October? Anybody? I, I figure it would be a few hands, a few more than that coming up because I hear people all the time like, bring it on. I, I can't wait. Praising God for like Pandora and, and things like that where you can just play Christmas music year round. And, and I know people who do. Um, and it just seems like it keeps moving up and up. And I guarantee you, I bet you in the next decade, we will be singing Christmas carols right after the 4th of July. And you'll hear it in the malls. It just it kind of feels like it's going that way. And, and, and the thing is, though, it's a time of year where you hear this music. And it really is. You know, walking through Walgreens, you hear songs about Jesus. And, and, and walking through the malls, you hear songs about Messiah and, and songs of the season. And it's just incredible to me the meaning that, that music has. And the fact that at all times in a secular society, if there's a time where music seems to permeate uh, our society, songs about Christ, it's amazing to me that it's still permitted, right? And unless we forget that, may we celebrate it and give thanks. Music is powerful. And times like this and this season in particular, songs just have a way of just cutting to the heart of, of us as people. Uh, for some, it, those songs, they, they bring a lot of memories up of the past. I know for me, I, I always think of like uh, when I hear the song, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. It immediately brings me back to 1990, Christmas of 1990. My mom, who had been battling cancer for five years, and the local, uh, our church choir came and visited her. She was kind of homebound at that point in her life, in her final months here on earth. And they came and they sang in our living room, remember, right in front of the fireplace, and they sang Christmas carols to her uh, with hot cocoa and, uh, and some cookies and and that night, and they ended those songs with, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And that just always, for me, resonates one of those beautiful memories of my mom, um, that Christmas of the time we spent together. Um, when I hear that, you know, the, the song, um, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, um, you've heard of that one, right? Um, I, I remember the first time I heard a, a recording of that uh, a few years ago, we were gathering for a Christmas party at my in-law's house, and my mother-in-law gets out an old record player and gets out a 45, you know, the old vinyl thing. And if you don't know what a 45 is, Google it, okay? And fascinating stuff. And, and played this record, and I heard Bing Crosby in the next room. I'm like, wow, that's beautiful. Uh, you know, and, and she says, this isn't Bing Crosby. I'm like, well, who is it? She says, this is Grandpa Stanson. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and he ends the song. And then he says a few words. He says, I really miss you, babe. And that was his wife, babe. He was talking to um, Shane's grandma and saying, I, I can't wait to sometime get home from uh, being at, at war. And uh, he was stationed on a, a naval ship serving in the Navy. And they had a, a setup to record a, a recording to send a record home. And he did. He, he sang the song and then said a few words. It was beautiful. I mean, I got goosebumps just listening to him sing a man I... I barely knew. He passed away early on when I was dating Shane. And I think, wow, how music has power to bring us to relationships, to people in our life, to moments in time, and it, it just it, it transcends in such a powerful way. You know, music often has a context to what a song is written about and, and when that song is written. 
And context is so important. We can learn a lot through where a song comes to be and also how that song is communicated through the years. We're going to spend some time in the next few weeks in the season of Advent focusing in on some very important songs that flow right out of Scripture. Uh, frankly, songs that often don't get a lot of attention even at this time of the year. And, and we're really excited about it. In fact, if you look at some of the key figures that we're going to focus in on in a few weeks, we're going to focus in on Simeon, uh, often a song that, that he's inspired to sing in the, in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah. We're going to focus on the song of the angels. We're going to focus on the song of, of Mary. But today we want to focus in on the song of Zechariah. Um, you know, it's one of those songs that maybe we don't focus on enough. Uh, we heard that song in the gospel reading today. It happened at, at uh, the birth of John the Baptist. Uh, Zechariah is, is John's dad, and Zechariah has quite a story. Um, to get to that story and to give some context to the song that God inspires Zechariah to sing, I want to open scripture with you today. And, and let's do that. If you would, open the Bibles. Um, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, to give some context to Zechariah's song, often called the Benedictus in Latin. Uh, Zechariah's song. And to get to that context, we go to Luke chapter 1, verse 5, is where it all starts. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. And here's what it says. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So there you have a little bit of their shared lineage. Both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, his wife of many years, uh, both were descendants of Aaron, and, and Aaron, being descendants of Aaron, they were part of the priestly group. And, and Zechariah, we already are told, serves as a priest, part of that priestly division of Abijah. We'll learn more about that in a moment. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Now, we might turn to this and say, oh, does that mean they're saying they were sinless? Well, certainly not. Uh, we know enough about God's Word and, and letting Scripture interpret Scripture. God is not saying they were perfect in His sight according to their own abilities. No, rather though, they were godly. They, they knew the Lord. They served the Lord. They knew His commands. They knew His Word. They were faithful in, in following Yahweh. And it didn't mean they were sinless, but it meant that God's grace was over them. They were godly people, and they, they followed the Lord's ways. What God sets up here, though, is also kind of what seemingly in their day would have been a contradiction because here they, Zechariah is a priest, so he's got a public office. People would have known him as a priest. He's married to Elizabeth, and, and here they are, godly people. And then we hear this in verse 7, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. And back in those days, I mean, this would have been for them a, a rather shameful thing. Uh, there would have been that question in, in their town outside of Jerusalem. It would have been thought, well, what's, what's wrong with them? Why, why don't they have children? I mean, that would be a, a natural blessing of God. 
for one who serves the Lord. I mean, it would only make sense that God would multiply their name. And yet they had no children. And here they have this public office, and yet at the same time have no children. They would have really been on display and would have been the talk of the town. I wonder why they have no children. And, and certainly it would have been an ongoing prayer for Zechariah and Elizabeth to have children. And yet they are well in advance in years. And, and, and scholars figure they were probably in their 80s by the time this event that we're going to see unfolds. Now think about that. They probably long since stopped praying for children. <laughs> Elizabeth was well into menopause. It wasn't a, a, a reality to even think about having kids anymore. They probably just realized this was going to be their lot in life not to have kids. And uh, be blessed by nephews and nieces when they'd come over to play. And, and or other family members. But then it happens. In verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And uh, I'll stop there just to give a little context to this kind of interesting thing. Um, so in, in, in Zechariah's time, we figure there were close to 18,000 priests who were serving in active, active duty to the Lord. And, and what this amounted to is that you would be required to be on serving uh, for two weeks out of the year, separate weeks, you would be required to come to the temple and serve as priest before Almighty God. Um, now, with 18,000 priests, that still would be a large number serving at the same time. And uh, they would have gathered there, and, and they would gather with God's people. And, and, and so it would be that in addition to being on to serve those two weeks out of the year, uh, they also would cast lots for one priest out of those who were on to serve to go into the Holy of Holies to offer the offerings and, and the offers of prayers of incense in front of the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies in the temple. It would start out that the priests that were on duty would gather outside the temple, outside the walls of the temple, and, and would spend time with the people, praying with the people, and then the priests would go into the, the holy place and then they would offer prayers on behalf of the people. And then that casting of lots, one priest would go and represent everyone and the people of Israel and go into the Holy of Holies. Um, this was a very special opportunity. And, and certainly in Zechariah's time, as old as he was in his 80s, his anticipation and expectation was he probably would never get that opportunity. Many priests would, would die and go to their graves never having the opportunity to enter into the Holy of Holies. So for this to happen, uh, clearly by chance, but certainly with God there's no such thing as chance, was a pretty special moment. Zechariah had been chosen by Lot to be the priest to go into the Holy of Holies and offer up the incense and offer up the prayers on behalf of God's people. A big deal. Huge deal. And, and I'm certain that uh, if, if Zechariah had read the, the manual on what to do when you get into the Holy of Holies, he knew exactly what he was going to have to do, what to do, how to swing the incense when he'd enter into that Holy of Holies, where the offerings would be left, and, and where he would pray, and what to expect. In fact, it was such a big deal, I've read elsewhere that um, they would actually tie a rope or a cord around the ankle of the priest that was on duty to go into the Holy of Holies. In the event something would happen. Say they had a heart attack or they fainted. 
uh, because they honored God in such a strong way to know God only allowed one person to enter into the Holy of Holies, one priest. And if something were to happen, they would pull that cord and pull and drag the guy out. I mean, think about that. Zechariah is given this honor to go in and pray on behalf of God's people. Now it says in verse 10, it says, And the time for the burning of incense came, and all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Um, why would he be gripped with fear? Well, the easy answer is that in the, in the manual on what to do when you went in as high priest to offer the incense, there was nothing there about an angel standing by that altar. <laughs> this was not expected. And here's what's going on here. For 400 years, week after week, month after month, year after year, priests were going into that Holy of Holies offering prayers on behalf of God's people and offering up prayers for redemption of Israel, a redemption that Messiah would come week after week, month after month, year after year. For 400 years, God had been completely silent. And you think, hey, how come God doesn't hear my prayers? Well, have you been waiting around 400 years? God's people had been waiting, longing for the day when God would speak and would tell that the fulfillment of all of the prophecies, all of the promises of how God would come and rescue and redeem his people, when that would be fulfilled, they were longing for it. And you got to believe there's a point where maybe they're just kind of going through the motions where, yeah, whatever, it's just part of my lineage, part of just going to church. Yeah, sure, the priest goes in and prayer, prays the prayers, but does it really, really get answered? And yet on Zechariah's watch, on his one opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies, there's an angel standing there. This is a really big deal. And God breaks the silence through that angel. Zechariah is afraid. He's gripped with fear, it says, just overwhelmed. And that's when the angel says to him in verse 13, do not be what? Afraid. The word phobia. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now, I'm going to stop and pause here for a moment. Um, what prayer has been heard? Now, if you and I read that at first thought, what prayer? Well, a prayer for a child, right? Because Zechariah and Elizabeth, they've been praying all these years for a child. Well, actually, that's not what it means. It's not what it says. Um, this is where Greek is so amazing. The, the aorist tense of that verb, um, it actually speaks to the fact that the prayer that the angel's talking about is the prayer that Zechariah has just offered on behalf of the people for redemption of Israel. God has heard that prayer. And you want to talk about the intersection of God's kingdom plan that intersects with, with, with just the personal plan of God's people in individual ways. This is just a beautiful picture here where God is going to accomplish a greater purpose for the kingdom of God's people for all ages. 
in the redemption of his people through Messiah that will come. And he's going to accomplish that, but he's going to accomplish it in a very seemingly insignificant yet huge way in one couple's life. They're going to be used by God. And one thing I'll just say to you at this moment is if you've been in that time of, of longing and, and praying before God for Him to answer a prayer, and you always wonder, well, where is He? How come He hasn't answered the prayer? Have you ever thought that maybe God has a bigger plan in mind? That maybe kingdom purposes are being accomplished through your time of waiting and longing. In amazing ways, maybe God is at work in just teaching you to rely on Him and wait on Him. God answers the prayer. And here's what happens next. When, that, when the angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I mean, this is quite, quite a statement here. I was just talking to my dad this week, and some of you have been asking, hey, how's he doing? We've been praying for him. He had a, a pacemaker installed a week ago. And uh, I was talking to him about it. He was starting to feel better, and he was losing energy, and he's starting to get some of that back. And, and uh, my dad is 80 years old, okay? And uh, he, he gets his pacemaker installed, and I, I was just asking him questions about it. I said, well, how often do you got to change the batteries on that thing? And he says, well, they tell me every seven years or so. And, and then he stops, he, he, he smiles and laughs he, over the phone. He says, uh, uh, but, you know, do the math on that. He says, uh, I don't think I'm going to need too many replacements at my age. And, you know, when you're 80-something, uh, your expectations of what life is going to hold for you are kind of set. You kind of know what to expect. And yet this blows the lid off of expectations. When you're 80, you're not expecting your wife is going to have a baby. And if your, your flashback thoughts are, wasn't there another story in Scripture like this? Yeah, Abraham and Sarai, back in the Old Testament, very similar context of being in their older ages and, and God saying, you're going to have a child in your older age. And, and you wonder, what's going through Zechariah's mind? Like, I wonder if Medicare will cover that and, and you know, all the bills and, and how is this going to work? And my wife is in menopause, and, and you know, this is impossible. And the thing is, nothing is impossible with God. This really happened. This isn't just a story. God is giving a signal, a sign that he is faithful. When circumstances and situations overwhelm us, we say, there's no way. And God says, Yahweh, I am present. And I'm here for my people, and I'm here to keep my promise. And he's here to do that in the life of Zechariah because their child will be the forerunner who will prepare the way for Messiah. I mean, all those amazing details of what this forerunner will do and, and some beautiful pictures there. You know, in the, the spirit and power of Elijah, um, prophecy in Old Testament that spoke of that Elijah would return right before Messiah would come. And there's a, a reminder that John the Baptist is actually that forerunner of the Christ. And the spirit of Elijah 
to turn the hearts of, of fathers to their children is a, a mark of what that ministry would look like. I mean, what a beautiful picture. Fathers who are far from their children would turn their hearts back toward their kids. And not just in relationship, but in a relationship with God where fathers would point their children to a Savior. God would bring wisdom and righteousness to bear to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that's when Zechariah's lack of faith enters in. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years and who can blame him for saying that? But the angel sees his heart in the midst of this and makes it very clear. He's like, what more do you want, Zechariah? For 400 years, people have been waiting for God to speak. And um, dude, (laughs) I don't know if you noticed, I'm an angel. What are you looking for in terms of signs here? And he says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because he did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Kind of ironic, isn't it? God has been silent for 400 years, and the one who is the first witness of hearing God speak now can't even tell anybody about it, at least for nine months or so, until that baby comes. And then Zechariah can talk like crazy. You know, verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she remained in seclusion. God had blessed them with an answer to their personal prayer, but God had answered the prayers of his people. Redemption had come. There was reason to sing. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace.
Come to me. 